Welcome to another episode of the Browns No Podcast. This is week five, of course. This is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California, and this is episode 28 of the Browns Note Podcast. And we are unfortunately coming off another heartbreaking loss, this one down in San Diego that I was able to attend personally, and although it was a tough way to end it, I personally, uh, I'm not panicking the way some of y'all out there are. I actually enjoyed the game for the most part. I thought especially offensively the team continued to, continued to progress uh, on defense, still plenty to get cleaned up, but... I think there are some signs that they are capable of doing so, although I didn't like at all the total uh, performance on the defensive side of the ball. And we'll talk about some of the reasons why it was the way it was with our friend Pete Smith, who was here last week. And some of you wrote that you enjoyed that. So I'm glad to give you a quick repeat hit of of Pete Smith talking football because he knows what he's talking about. And even if you see some of it differently, he's going to give you some evidence as to why he's come to the conclusions he has. And I appreciate that from people. Don't just say things. Have reasons. Uh, But that was, it was a disheartening loss the way it happened at the end. Um, But like I say, a good time had by many in San Diego. It was good to meet a few of you all out there. Bonacci even came and found me in my seats. Props to the the effort there. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully next time we'll get to see a, a Browns victory as the group. But the, let me report, the dog pound presence at what I still call Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego was strong. There was a lot of orange, a lot of brown. It was good to see everybody out there. I certainly got a brief tailgating experience with some friends, and uh, it was just, it was nice to be amongst fellow Browns fans, and lots of us there were. So rest easy, at least, that we are still out here in force and in number, and uh, big game this weekend against the Ravens. I trust some of you are making that trip, I hope. Uh, Please bark for those of us that will be watching from our couches and chairs and sports bars across the land. Uh, I think this is a game that sets up for the Browns. I got to tell you, I know we're rose-colored, Kool-Aid drinking fools around these parts, but I do think this is not your standard Ravens team. I do think that the Browns are building towards a better thorough, uh, a better comprehensive performance. Let's put it that way. And I'm going to be real curious to see what this coaching staff is able to put together for a game that I think they need to come out ready to take. And I mean take with force. So I'm hopeful I, uh, I won't go so far as to say optimistic. I'm hopeful. I do think this game is one that is eminently winnable, and I'll be disappointed if they come out either flat or, uh, or poorly executing. But we'll see what it all, see how it all comes out. And here to talk with me about it after this short little interlude is Mr. Pete Smith, who you can and should be following at Pete Smith FS on Twitter. Check him out. Draft Breakdown, NFL Spin Zone. We're going to break down what we saw against San Diego and what we hope to see against Baltimore. And I'll be back with some closing thoughts after this discussion. All right, we're joined again on the podcast this week by Mr. Pete Smith. You probably caught him last week. You can follow him at Pete Smith FS. He works with Draft Breakdown, an NFL spin zone. And, of course, in that latter spot, if you're following along, you, you noticed some good writing this week and some you know illuminating writing, if I might say so. And, Pete, we'll get to some of that. Good to have you back this week, man. How's it going? Oh, I'm great. Back by tepid demand. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, hopefully not, not uh, you know, too infrequent an occurrence going forward here. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit first about sort of what we're seeing from the team in general before we get too in-depth about what happened in San Diego. I'll, I'll preface it by telling you that I was there. I was at the game, and I had a nice end zone view. Um, and so 
you know, you can see the game sort of uh, unravel, or maybe there's a better word for it, but you can, you can watch the game happen from a, a pretty knowledgeable standpoint when you're able to get behind or in front of the line and sort of see where things open up, where they don't, how exactly a guy gets open and whatnot. There's obviously more when you're there you can see. Um, and what it looked like to me is sort of further progression in the same direction that we were talking about last week. Um, the offense, frankly, has to be pretty encouraging, I think, if you're going to be at least at all reasonable or realistic about what the expectations should have been coming into the season. I mean, the, the role that they have gotten Duke Johnson into in, a, in the span of a couple of short weeks, the ability of of uh, Josh McCown to spread the ball around. I think we're seeing evidence that the offensive line is coming around. Where are you on the offensive side of the ball? I know there's a lot to talk about on the defensive side of the ball, but kind of give me your, here's where we're at in the evolution of this team from an offensive standpoint. Well, I, I thought the game, from as, as disappointing as the result was, the game for me was fun from an offensive standpoint because you really saw the wheels turning, uh, them starting to figure themselves out and, and have a game plan that they 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 came in with that was effective that they executed. Uh, I you know I love the way they they used Duke Johnson as sort of a uh, as a, a receiver sort of underneath type guy who can get matchups against linebackers and and they, San Diego could not keep up with him. They struggled, but they used Travis Benjamin to sort of stretch the field and open up space. They used Taylor Gabriel. I like the approach at the first series of the game. They went Travis Benjamin uh, with one target, went with Benjamin, went with uh, Gabriel for the second target, and I would have liked them to run it on third and one, but I understand why they went right back to Benjamin on third and one. Uh, and then they used those 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 over-the-top deep threats with speed to really give themselves space. And the running game was somewhat of a struggle, but the, the fact is they stuck with it, and then they were finally able to break through with that big run where, where I you know, Crowell did what people are sort of hoping for him to do, where he, he exploded through a big hole for a 32-yard run, and suddenly the, the running offense has 100 yards on the ground and a decent average, and everything looks pretty good from that standpoint. Uh, the running backs, just the two, Crowell and, and Johnson, totaled 247 total yards. So, I mean, everybody sort of looks at Josh McCown's uh, output, which is, you know, maybe as good as he's going to ever give you, and they think, oh, it was just an air attack. Well, the reality was they used those passes to those guys to sort of uh, set up the, set up other options. Uh, it was more like uh, their passing game was a running game in certain respects. And the, I thought the best part of the, the, the game plan from, from my standpoint is the way they used Duke Johnson uh, to, to really get them leaning that when it was Corell in, it was run, and when it was Duke Johnson in, it was pass. And then they set up that play where they throw the ball to Crowell and he goes for 55 because they were so set on that tendency. And it was really effective. And, and you know, at the end of the game, they end up with 40, 438 total yards. Gary Barnage comes away with a ton of catches. Travis Benjamin looks like a, a legitimate weapon who, who's going to get a big contract at the end of the year. Uh, Duke Johnson, you know, ends up with 15 catches in two weeks, uh, which is a season for most backs. So certainly, now it certainly like would have been for weapon. any Browns back the last couple of years where we haven't thrown it to the backs at all. So, I mean, you know, you've got to give them credit. And, and the fact is, if you don't like Josh McCown, then you better give Duke, then you better give uh, John DeFilippo all that much more credit because he put him in a situation to just consistently succeed and make plays. And I thought Josh McCown was great, but the fact is, uh, give the Browns scouting department and coaching staff credit. They identified what they liked in Duke Johnson. They really liked his ability to catch the football. 
and they put it into action. And then it turns into that great play in the corner where they throw that touchdown pass and his just huge output of total yardage and, and the receiving uh, he's been able to put up the past two weeks. It looks like a legitimate point that, that they can keep using. It doesn't look like it was a fluke. It looks like something they can keep coming back to and repeating, both he and Benjamin, which looks like foundation pieces to an offense. Neither one of those guys looks like a number one threat, but they look like pieces you can build with an offense. Well, the thing I see out of those two guys that works in complement to each other is their ability to stress a defense in all directions, right? Because Benjamin is somebody you have to deal with over the top, which means that you've got to have some kind of coverage allotted to the deep ball. And when you've got Duke Johnson leaking out of the backfield or in the alternative, as they had on that ball in the corner, like you said, basically running wide receiver type routes, I mean, you're in a position now to where a defense has to pick and choose which part it's going to cover and which part it is going to leave vulnerable. And that's really when you start to get into having a lot of fun options as an offense. And I do see that starting to build. And And if you can't appreciate the performance of Josh McCown, I mean, I don't know what you're watching. Uh, you know, if you look, they're already, the rankings for the offense are so much better than you would have expected coming into the season, at least from a passing standpoint. I mean, as I'm looking at this pro football reference page, they're ninth in the league right now in passing yards, ninth in passing TDs. I mean, you're talking about a team that didn't have any weapons, according to pretty much everybody that looked at them ahead of the season. So they're doing a really nice job in the pass offense, especially when you look at uh, how little they got done really passing the ball in those first two games. Um, so looking at that, I feel like there's really a lot to build from. I, I And just to throw one little more piece of, uh, you know, combustible on that uh, fire, there was a tweet from Greg, Greg Cosell just not a few minutes ago, and, and the quote is, he had one of the better performances by a QB so far this season, period. There's no for the Browns. There's no for a crappy team. There's no for a guy that we don't think is any good. Josh McCown played excellent football on Sunday, and what it looked like to me – uh, from the stands was just a guy who basically understands his constraints, understands what his offense has and does not have. And so long as he's got time, he's more or less going to make a reasonable decision with the football. And the, and the difference to me this week versus last week when he was coming back off the injury, I, to me the difference was he didn't miss those easy throws that you got to have in order to keep things on schedule. And the result was a, a game in which they ran, went up and down the field on a team that, granted, I'm not you know, signing San Diego up for any Canton measures for, uh, for their defensive efforts, but that to go on the road to a West Coast game and give them everything they can handle and really kind of need a break or two to lose the game, offensively, that was, that was a pretty damn good performance. Right, and you mentioned it. Not not just good for Josh McCown, just good. And uh, like I said, it may be the best performance you ever get out of him, but the fact is that you didn't expect that to get that performance out of him the entire year. So you're already ahead in terms of what you sort of expect. And he made a couple plays. He also makes a few mistakes. That, you know, he's frustrating with how he runs himself into the into sacks. But the, the Duke Johnson is such an important part of this. He gives the Browns a weapon. I can't rem- I can't remember them having, uh, going back. To me, it, it goes back to Eric Metcalf, that type of little flair guy that can make catches and make plays out of nothing, and then you can use him as a receiving threat. I mean, that's. I, I don't think you can underestimate how critical that right. is. That you, he, He's a quote-unquote third down back, but what he really is is a mismatch and an X factor that gives this offense just something that a lot of teams just don't have. You know, I like to think that Deion Lewis was kind of on his way to being sort of like that. 
Um, but obviously this is a younger guy coming straight out of the draft and, and the promise that he's showing as a receiver in terms of not just sort of that native physical ability, physical ability but again, to be able to split out wide and run routes. Uh, I, to me, he's a pretty advanced back from that perspective, at least vis-a-vis guys that are, are coming right out of the draft. So yeah, I agree. I found Duke... Watching him up close, you can really see the speed. You can really see kind of the the fluidity with which he goes after a football in the air. The tracking the ball in the corner, to me, that was that was exciting mostly from that perspective. Because here's a guy that is running a route out into the corner, you know, just like a receiver would, and making a beautiful over the shoulder catch and tiptoeing into the corner. That that has a lot of danger to it if you're a defense to deal with a back pulling that out how about the offensive line what are you seeing from them I can tell you that from my standpoint in the end zone this past weekend it sure looked like there was a more uh, a more consistent push and certainly a more consistent flow on the outside stuff in an attempt to get some of that zone stuff moving uh, I think the offensive line is, is getting too much blame for things that that aren't really wrong uh, we've talked about before missed holes by running backs. And, and this week, uh, you know, last, last week you had situations where Schwartz just got beat by Khalil Mack, who's just an absolute stud. This week, I mean, there may have been some issues, but it, uh, very infrequent, and more often than not, it was Josh McCown running himself into something as opposed to the offensive line just making a mistake. Way too many situations where you have the quarterback creating his own problems and now you see all the discussion of Andrew Luck and what he's potentially doing compared to Matt Hasselbeck and the difference and all these things. So I think the offensive line has done a much better job. I think, uh, as we discussed last week, I think you're seeing a slowly but surely healthier Alex Mack uh, arising, and that's important. But, you know, the, the play of the day for the Browns is that is that 32-yard run from Isaiah Crowell. That's, that's where you're going you know, we can live with the slog it out a little bit, chunk, 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 even if it's a struggle. But if they can just get that type of play, it honestly, it, as much as it looked like a breakthrough, it felt like a breakthrough for the running game. It, they don't have to be great all the time. They don't have to be a situation where you can just basically walk down the field. They just have to be good enough where they can get backs in positions where they can make their own big play. The offensive line is doing a much better job than people realize, and it's it's frustrating how much uh, grief they get. But you know, it's just one of those things where fans see see bad things happen and go, "Oh, the offensive line must be the problem." Well, it's not really like that, and I like what I'm seeing. I, I just I think the other part of that is the Andy Bowler situation is finally sort of out of their system, and that 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 really hurts an offensive line as far as just if, if you're going to pick out a position coach that's the most important guy on the staff. Just straight position coach is the offensive line. It's simply a matter of the fact that any given time you have five of them on the field. It's a tough job and it's well, a really important job. There's a lot of communication that goes through an offensive line coach too, if I understand it correctly. I mean, I've never been down there personally, but but that's certainly my understanding of how that position works. Absolutely. And there's, you know, the line calls and what they're seeing and what you know, what's being communicated, and if one guy, you know, mis- miscommunicates or takes the wrong cue, then suddenly the play looks awful, and it's just a miscommunication thing. So now they've got, you know, a new offensive line coach in place, a new assistant offensive line coach in place, and it looks like they're starting to get back back in, in, in sync and gelling a little bit. I just think it's, you know, I love what Mike Benton's brought to this team, but the Andy Moeller hiring has really, really been a big problem, and, and this situation is, 
looks like it's finally get, get they're going to get past it, but that held them back significantly. I think as, as that gets going and you have Max getting healthier, and now suddenly you have Robert Turbin, who's questionable on the injury report, but seems to be uh, telling everybody that he's going this week. So there's a lot of positive signs that suggest, well, maybe this thing can, can get a little bit better as far as running the football, which would be obviously a huge element they could add. You know, I actually – just saw a tweet a few minutes ago that they're going to wait another week on Turbin, and I think it was his quote. So just to update you, sounds like they're going to going to give him one more week and not throw him out there against Baltimore. But regardless, I mean, you got to look at the performance in this last game and think, you know, 21 rushes for 100 yards, that's a pretty decent start on a running game that I can live with if you're going to be throwing the ball for the kinds of yardage and with the kind of efficiency that Josh McCown executed with on Sunday. Now, I think there's a happy medium in there somewhere, and we'd all like to see them running the ball a little bit more effectively. But at the end of the day, they had they had the lead in time of possession. They were at 34-19 to San Diego's 25-41. They basically split evenly on the total yards, 432 to 438. And when you look at the way that – I mean, everything else was more or less equal on the offensive side of the ball. So, to me, you had two basically evenly matched teams that couldn't stop each other, and it came down to one field goal at the last second, as evenly matched teams' games often do. So, when I look at this game, I just I don't come out of this as – you know, holding my face in my hands as so many fans appear to. I know it was a tough way to go down with the offsides call that looks to have been a little bit spurious to begin with. But ultimately, to me, that was more just symptomatic of the team with the ball last and a little bit of time was going to win that game. And I don't sit here and panic about it. And I know everybody's giving it the old what a Brownsy way to lose. But to me, the Brownsy way to lose of late over the past maybe decade plus, in addition to at times offensive ineptitude, uh, has been they just can't stop people and and this week I would point out that it's been that it was a little different. Uh, everybody was talking about the run defense. It was 160 yards a game they were giving up. Well, they only gave up 91 rushing in this game, and I know it's a little bit misleading for various reasons, but they definitely got the run game in my view on defense. They really they really pulled it together far more than they had in any game so far this season. There's still a little too much leaking and we still missed one or two critical plays, but at the end of the day, you give up 91 yards rushing. You're not going to complain too much about that most days. No, I mean, they had a couple big plays. You mentioned it. I mean, I think they ran 21 times or 23 times total and they gave up a 21 or 23 yard run and 19 yard run. Uh, you know, the story of the season with the defense is big plays. But, again, if you take those out, I think they're at 2.5 yards per carry. Uh, if they can just eliminate those big plays, which is the theme, that's been the issue. And, and uh, you know, the, the – let, let me the stop first- you there, Pete, and ask you, ask you what you think it is. Because to me that's sort of a – it seems to – it needs to be either one thing or another. Either the defense from a scheme perspective – is a little over-aggressive, and that causes guys to be out of position when they need to be in position to make plays, or guys are missing plays when they're in position. And if I understand your position what right, and you wrote about some of this, I you know I don't want to put words in your mouth for, for how you see it, but I'd love to have you sort of summarize for people this, this piece you did on the Browns' defense this week, and it's at uh, NFL Spin Zone entitled Design, Not Just Executing Hurting Defense, Execution Hurting Defense. And, and this, to me, is kind of the the central focus of what I would be looking at as a Browns fan or if I'm analyzing the team, the defense has been, obviously, to me, the biggest disappointment. And I, I continue to say that Jim O'Neill has been the least impressive of the coaching group to me for a number of reasons. 
but I do wonder kind of how much you attribute to, okay, this is scheme causing issues where we can't eliminate bad plays, or this is an issue where the coaches need to make sure that their players are executing because they're in position to do so and just missing it. Well, just looking at the big plays, uh, the, 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 the run to Danny Woodhead that, that really hurt us at the end, that was purely on assignment being missed. Uh, defensive tackle filled down when he shouldn't have, should have stayed square, went right through the hole, and it was a great, you know, good call at a good time, and they, they had, they just made a great play. Uh, you know, in, in this case, uh, San Diego sort of schemed Danny Shelton out of the game, which for some reason seems to be getting a lot of grief uh, that I can't understand. He does uh, he does his job, and people are saying, well, the Browns are, Browns are saying do better. Well, they're not saying he's doing a bad job. They just want him to dominate. That's sort of the next step for him. But <laughs> anyway. They've come out so, every week and talked about what a great job they think he's doing. So people, in my view, are just selectively listening. Right. So you have that one. That's a, that's a missed assignment. The the situation where they had that cross crosser play where, you know, they, they get a 66-yard play to a guy, a guy I'd never heard of uh, was a situation where they – good play – Good play call by the Chargers. We kept blitzing everybody, and I don't understand why. So you had this situation, but Craig Kirk, uh, Chris Kirksey failed to pick up the crosser. He, that's his job. He should have done it. Uh, that's a missed assignment. you got to make that play. Now you get to the well, – this is where you, you lose me as far as what you want to do as a defense. They ran cover zero. They blitz the house. They have Dante Whitner one-on-one with a guy who's half a foot taller than he is. Uh, you know, obviously giving up a, about 50 pounds. And Drew, and don't get me wrong, uh, Philip Rivers makes a fantastic throw. Ladarius Green makes a good catch, but it just doesn't strike me as a, it's just not what you consider putting Dante Whitner in a position well, and, to win. And, and that, one, that one happened right in front of me, Pete. And what struck me about it was they were, they were pretty close into the end zone, so there's really no need to go to the zero to me. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm forcing them to throw stuff underneath in that position and to give... Look, I understand the idea that you go after Phillip Rivers because if you allow him to sit back there, he's going to just pick you apart. And especially when you're playing without Joe Hayden and a couple other guys in the back end, I can see where you'd have concern that you're just not going to be able to cover San Diego for very long. On the other hand, it's like you said, Ladarius Green's six foot six and spry. He can get up. So you're talking about basically a small forward, any DB is going to be mismatched at that point. And quite frankly, Whitner's coverage was honestly as good as it could have been on that play. It was literally right in front of me. And there's not a damn thing he can do about that ball. Like you say, Phillip Rivers throws an A-plus ball. Ladarius Green goes up to unimaginable heights to get it. There's not much most DBs can do. But that does beg the question then, why are we putting guys in these positions? And you had a number of questions about personnel usage and about sort of it, it sounds like a bunch of things that I might sort of lump into one category of, of schematic over-aggressiveness. Is that fair? Well, one of the questions I have is, and I, and I understand that some of the reason they, they went Blitzburg on, on the Chargers was, was they, I, I don't think they trusted their corners, although I think Pierre Desir did a nice job. Uh, I thought Dante Whitner had his best game this season. I've been extremely critical of him. He stepped up in a big way at his best game this year. Uh, so props to him. Hopefully that's, you know, sees the things to come and not just the peak of what, what is, is his downward spiral. But you just look at this and you're saying, well, we're going to, we're going to send six, seven guys uh, at the quarterback and the end of, and all you got was one sack and four quarterback hits. You know I mean, at some point you're saying, 
this isn't working. You know, at the very least, mix up the coverages. Do something other than just send the house. Philip Rivers is too good to just say, well, we're just going to do this over and over again and see what happens. And you saw him make those line adjustments. You saw him clog up the middle and sort of run outside a little bit and just delay long enough where his guy could get separation. And then, and then as far as personnel usage, uh, they sort of answered the Justin Gilbert question, although I didn't like the answer. But, you know, Johnson Bettermosi is a fantastic special teams player. Cannot say enough about how good he is at special teams. As good as he is at special teams, he is that bad to me as a cornerback. He was not good in the preseason. He was not good in the game. He struggled with penalties. He just had a, a tough time. He's and you see Justin Gilbert over there. He's terrible as a corner. It's just, just brutal. He's just bad. You can't, can't do the job. And, and, you know, that's just what it is. You just can't do it. And you're sitting there going, Justin Gilbert's sitting here, and, you know, take the draft pick out of it. Let's forget the draft pick. Let's just look at it from the standpoint of he's a six-foot kid who can run and is a, and can play coverage as a corner. You know, at some point, if Johnson Badamosi is getting beaten the way he was, you'd think, well, let's put him in, put him in there. And then you get this weird excuse about how, Gilbert was playing nickel all week, and it's just, you yeah. know. I, see, these are my questions, too. Saying, I, I have the same questions. You're either saying Justin Gilbert is so stupid that he can't handle anything, or you're basically trying to come up with – just nothing about that explanation was, it was, was, was good. For the most part, I just find, you know, nothing what Jim O'Neill was saying was wrong, per se, outside of that exchange, but you just come away and you want to hit him. You just do. You're going – Coaches got to, you know, we've got to put guys in position to succeed, and they've got to X you. Well, yeah, that's basically what defense is, but that right. doesn't, you know, that doesn't do anything for you. Well, and, and then and, the other part of that, yeah, go ahead. Shelton barely played; they schemed him out. You know, that's that's what it is. I don't have a problem with that. But on the same play, you know, again, the, the pass rush isn't getting there, and Barkevius Mingo barely played. You're just sort of like, he's really fast. Maybe he could run off the edge and get to something. You're just. These are the questions that sort of leave you wondering, what is Jim O'Neill looking at? And so, but as he should, Mike Patton's getting more involved. He has been more involved, and uh, he has been all season, according to reports, which is exactly what happened. I'm not worried about the play calling, per se. To me, it is a, a vision, a usage thing. Paul Kruger is dropping. That makes no sense to me. Yeah, you see, that's exactly Kruger, the one. That, that's the one the, that one and Mingo drive me nuts. Why, why are we using these guys – that are supposedly the core guys in roles that are not exactly what are their strengths. I, I, I will never like a, a scheme design where we're asking guys to do things more than once occasionally that aren't the best thing they do. Paul Kruger is a pass rusher. He might not be the best pass rusher on the planet, but that's what he does best, and that's why you signed him. And to have him out there dropping in coverage, to me, it begs the question, number one, what are the guys you got for coverage doing? And number two, what are we really, aren't we outsmarting ourselves a little bit? Like you can't just keep pounding, you know, square pegs into round holes. Your scheme has to acknowledge what your players do best and put them in a position to do it as frequently as possible. And, and I guess that's really where I'm struggling with O'Neal. I, I think I agree with you. Some of his comments after games, I, I really find he's the, he's the guy I find to be sort of defensive, and I guess that's natural given how poorly the defensive results have been on the whole. Um, but at the end of the day, some of this stuff he should just answer with the truth. 
and I understand you want to support your guys and all that, but execution doesn't tell us what is not being executed. And I think that's where there's a lot of disconnect there. Um, what, what about sort of the, um, this is more of a whole question, I guess. Are, are you seeing a general lack of energy or discipline from the team? I don't like the penalty numbers, for one. 12 for 91 is just way too much, and they've done it far too consistently for it not to be a trend. But do you see something under Petten's regime where they are lacking energy or fight or anything? Because I see people saying that, and i got to tell you, that's not what I see at all. No, it's, it's, it's stupid. You know, and this is one of those things that just drives me nuts. This is that falling into, falling into easy answers that, 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 tr- that, that troubled this team in the past that aren't there. The idea that you're saying that a team that lost by a one-score margin against the Raiders and was fighting and driving at the end of the game or to lose a game to the Chargers by a field goal at the end and then come back and tell me, well, they quit on their coach. I mean, just nothing about that makes sense. Now, the penalty part of this, there's two things. First, the NFL is throwing more penalty flags than is, it's un, unprecedented. And I think more people need to understand just how many penalty flags. Watch any random game of two teams, and it is not it is insane how many penalty flags are, are going up. Now, the other part of that is what type of penalties are we getting called for? Pre-snap penalties, no excuse, none. False start is what it is. You just got to know the snap count. Those just have to be cleaned up. But to say, you know, if you want to put that on coaching, that's fine. But at the same time, I mean, I can scream on the sideline at players and tell, you know, yell the snap count at them, and they still might jump. It's just sort of one of those things that you have to you have to sort of understand how much is on coaching, how much they work on it, versus just general accountability and awareness. I mean, they they, they just have to be better at it. But to me, I don't. I don't see anything that screams at me, uh, this team isn't trying or this team isn't disciplined. I think these are easy answers being posed by people who don't really watch the game or don't understand. And if you don't understand, that's fine. You know, learn, ask, whatever. Don't just come up with these weird, tripey answers that just make you sort of want to throw up. I mean, uh, (laughs) trying to explain everything, trying to explain everything by saying, you know, the coaches aren't you know, whatever, X, Y, or Z descriptor. They're, they're too, they're not emotional enough, or they suck. These are not answers that I'm interested in. You know, these aren't conversations, well, obviously, well, that I'm interested not, in. They're not playing player X who I can't see a practice, so they must be awful. Right. The, 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 the common idea that, that, that the football week is just the three hours you see on Sunday uh, and, and going, well, he's not doing this, so he's awful. It's not, you know, it's a different sport. You just sort of have to understand that. Yeah. But, Tip you know, the stuff. Penalties have to get better. They just do. But, again, I would, I would point to the fact that I think uh, the, the, the numbers indicate that this is the most penalized start of the year in NFL history. It is, That's, yeah. And, and it's just a weird trend. It's a weird thing that the NFL is doing, and I'm not sure why they're doing it because it's not making for a better product. It's making for a slog of a game and more, more people complaining about it than anything. But, yeah, they're calling a lot of weird penalties that just – it's just you just have when the penalties are penalties that's fine and we've got to clean those up but it's you've got to really sort of understand contextual the big thing for me is is pre-snap and and mental errors versus aggression penalties i'm okay with aggression penalties those yep. happen yep. you know getting called for getting called for holding getting called for you know trying to win those are, i get but the false start and stuff that's the stuff you really got to clean up and if you if you can understand the different the difference between those two and, and seeing that 
this guy's just trying to win and trying to make a play and, you know, this happened. That's okay. You don't want it to happen. You want to move on and get better. But it's a big difference between that and, say, false start or offsides or those mental mistakes. Right. And going from things that they control to the things that they can't. Uh, to me, I think another – this is a story for every NFL team, and it's certainly a widespread problem for a lot of teams. But, again, they're missing a lot of guys. And so it's hard for me to get a real handle on on what the team should be like if you can't see the team as it's intended to be constructed. And I understand that's injuries are part of the game. That's, that's part of what you just have to deal with, and teams need to be able to, to execute nevertheless. But I think there's also – at various positions, there are just limits to what you're going to be able to do when your first, second guys get out of there. I mean, if you're missing your best corner, that's going to put a serious constraint on your offense or on your defense. If you're missing guys, as we saw last year with Alex Mack, that's going to put a constraint on your offense. And, and they are missing guys on both sides of the ball that to me are, you know, it matters, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It just feels like they have never even gotten to be close to fully, uh, to fully healthy on that side of the ball. And I'm hoping that slowly but steadily they'll start to get there. I mean, it sounds like they might get Desmond Bryant back this week. Sounds like Scott Solomon is, is on the come, and it would sure be nice to get those guys back. Uh, and then, of course, you got to hope Hayden gets semi-healthy. It doesn't sound like he's going to be 100% at all this season just because of the nature of what he's got, ribs and fingers and the kind of stuff that is going to get tweaked again from time to time playing the game of football at that position. And I just think we got to keep in mind sort of some of the – if you're not that good a team to begin with, you better have some health. And to me, this was a middle-of-the-road team that needed to stay healthy. And if they're not going to be healthy, they're going to have real struggles. And they've been in all these games despite it. So, uh, you know, I'm just not in panic mode like everybody else is. But then again, my expectations were not really that this was a playoff team. So um, to me, it's more of a – I'm just taking a lot more patient tact than I see, or at least that the folks I'm interacting with for the most part have. So anyway – that was that. Let's let's look ahead to this to this Baltimore game on Sunday because to me this is a game that's actually ripe for the winning. The Ravens have had a couple of really bad performances. They've had one performance where they were lucky to get get away with a win in Pittsburgh and frankly Big Ben Roethlisberger plays in that game. I don't think they have a chance of winning it. So this to me is not the same Ravens team. I have a ton of respect for that organization and and the fight and the physicality and the fundamental soundness with which they play so consistently. But quite frankly, right now, they're beaten to hell just as badly as the Browns are. They're going to be without all sorts of guys, including Steve Smith, including Crockett Gilmore, it sounds like. They still haven't gotten anything out of Perriman. They are depleted in terms of weaponry on the offensive side of the ball. And on defense, they haven't really stopped anybody consistently. They let the Raiders, for God's sakes, go up and down the field on them, even worse than the Browns did. I'm wondering, A, have you seen much of the Ravens yet in order to be able to diagnose what's going on there? And then, B, what are you looking for out of the Browns to go ahead and attack this team that, I mean, look, they look awfully vulnerable to me. You could disagree, but I'd want to know why. I think this is about as good of a matchup as you're going to find for the Browns this season. Uh, Between everything you mentioned, where the Ravens win and where the Ravens lose, this could be – as good of a matchup. And the thing that's interesting about me with, about this team for me with everything, everything's so bad about this team and everybody wants to give up on the season already. They haven't played a single division game yet. This is the first one. And that's critical. And, and, and winning the AFC North, which is as good of a division dip year in and year out as you're going to find this one, this is a big deal. So for me, 
watching the Ravens, and I, I, I put, I watched the whole game within the, oh, the Steelers, one of the worst football games I've ever seen. What you could write a book on how badly fourth downs were handled in that game by both teams. But uh, the thing that, that that's interesting to me, the thing that's changed from last year, uh, that's interesting is because I, I heard people. Even even after the fact, this past, like the past two weeks, to talk about how the Browns should have hired Mark Trestman as their offensive coordinator. And I've got news for you. He's the reason the Ravens are terrible. He's what, What's happened, is, in my view, is he's changed the Ravens' offensive line into doing things they aren't good at. Uh, they're, 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 they're not putting Marshall Yonda and those guys in positions where they see they're a gap-blocking team. They want to get on you. They want to be physical. And they're using more zone concepts, and they're trying to move guys around a little too much. It's just not very effective for what for who they are. They want to get up on you, and they want to pound, which is what makes this interesting for the Browns is because the Ravens are struggling offensively as far as weaponry, and the Browns are struggling as far as their secondary goes. They're not going to have Gibson. That's that's not going to be helpful. That, these are these are areas that are a problem. Hayden may or may not be able to go. So having all those guys out, you, they've got to sort of find a way to, to deal with whoever is not – being covered by this year. Uh, I think this year is pretty good. I think he should be okay. And they've got to just be able to eliminate the mistakes they've been making and avoid giving up the big plays on the run. If they can control the line of scrimmage, and this is a huge week, a huge week for Danny Shelton, a big opportunity for him to make a statement because I don't think uh, Jeremy Zuta is particularly good. He can make a big move, which is part of the reason I think the team is sort of calling for him to you know be great this week is because they – they understand what they're looking at. They, they've got a big week coming. This is what you do to your players. You know, you guys, you believe in. You want to sort of coax them into having a big game and a big week. Offensively, this is great for the Browns. The Ravens are struggling. The Browns are, are, are finding certain things they like. I, I'm not sure who the Ravens have. It's a very good matchup for Travis Benjamin. I don't see who the Ravens have. It's a very good match for, for, Duke, for Duke Johnson. And if the Browns can get anything on the ground, suddenly it opens things up for them. And the other part of that is I don't think the Ravens, as much as John Arbaugh is a special teams guy, the Ravens haven't been very good on special teams. No, they've been so bad on special week, teams. Last week in a situation, and it was so close. It looked like Travis Benjamin thought he had it, too, the way he was the way he was running, and he barely missed getting through that hole. I and tell you, man, it, we thought he, he had gone. it. We, we thought he had it in, it in the gone. ground for sure. Yeah. So he's knocking on the door. And this is a week where you could really see Benjamin go off in a big game just like he did against the Titans. So I really I love this matchup for us. And and, and you know, I, I I hesitate to get my expectations too high, but this is a game I hope the Browns can come in and make a statement, get everybody off their back for a week, win a division game, which is in Cleveland is a different deal. Uh winning in the division is just huge. Beating a team like Baltimore is always huge for them. This is a week I think they, they you know, the quote-unquote circle on the calendar, any cliche you want, throw the record, all that crap team, you know, analysts say when they were filling in time, this is the week where they got to step up and do it, and I think they can. I, I love what this, I love how this week could shape up for the Browns. Yeah, you know what, we see it very similarly. I said earlier in the week that I think, as mu- again, this is not shade against Baltimore so much as it is just an observation having seen all four of their games and thinking, they're just not playing well right now. And though they are still the Ravens in the sense that you're going to have a fist fight all the way to the last second of the game, and Joe Flacco is going to put you in uncomfortable positions at times because he can play. But I do, I do sense, like you do, that the way the Browns have 
been moving their offense is particularly problematic for the personnel that the Ravens put out there on defense, number one. I, I think that's a good matchup. I really do think this game sets up in a way that the Browns ought to be able to take advantage of a lot of things. And to that end, I would just say I expect pretty – I would say my expectations going into this game are higher than they've been in any other game this season because I really feel like this is one of those games where a good coaching staff would have this team ready to go get it. And I'm going to be pretty disappointed if there's not a really quality effort on the other end of this thing because it's right there for them, like you're saying. And if the coaches can't get it together for a week like this for the team to come out and put a best foot forward kind of performance out there, I do start to question what the hell's going on because this your, your NFL team after 20-plus games – you got to start having trends in the right way, even with all the constraints this team is dealing with. And I, I really do feel like I'm seeing progress, certainly on the offensive side of the ball. I guess what I'm saying is I'd like to see it close down even more so on the defensive side of the ball this week. And like you say, the Browns should have a special teams advantage. And I, I just think from a matchup standpoint, this, sh- this should point in the Browns' direction more than that seven-point Ravens favorite line does. And I'm really curious to see how the team comes out and does it. So before we wrap it up here, Pete, why don't you go ahead and if you have anything that uh, that you think we haven't talked about, by all means, throw in your last notes. But uh, wrap it with your prediction. Of course, you are, as I mentioned last week, duty-bound to pick the Browns. So uh, give us a Browns winning score, and uh, and then we'll call it a wrap. Uh, this game this game streams like 27-24 type deal. But the, the, the only thing I, I would sort of touch on is, is just the fact that you look at a, you look at a team like the Browns, and for all the talk about how bad people think they are, if, if for people who watch the Houston Texans and Indianapolis Colts, the Houston Texans look like what the Browns used to be. That's what that was—a bad football team. The Browns aren't that bad team anymore. Now they have issues, but you, what I saw again with the Texans was a team that just didn't have guys that could possibly do the job they were being asked to do. To this point, I don't see that happening. And the other part of this week I want to see is, and I think that's part of the reason he spoke up, is Paul Kruger sees this as former team, loves to come back and have a big week. So if the Browns do not let him loose, I will be extremely disappointed. A guy being dropped into coverage who, as a pass rusher, has no hips, being dropped into coverage where he needs to have hips, just cannot get it done. He's, this is a huge week for them, huge week for him. I think they get it done. Nice. You got to give me a score, dude. 27-24. Oh, you did. That's right. Real good. Yeah, I think it's something pretty similar to that. I think maybe a little lower scoring than that. I'm going to go with 23-20. Uh, to 20. I don't have any good reason for it. I, just, I, I think it might start a little sloppy. I do expect it to be an AFC North game from that respect, um, but I'm looking forward to it. I, I I'm hopeful that they can come out with the kind of sort of clarity at the open of the game uh, that, that to me, that's been an issue. They need to start a little better than they have. Uh, I don't like going three and out on those first drives. You need to, you need to put a little something together and if you've got to be conservative to do it, great. And honestly, establish some sort of a physicality and a tone at the outset of a game against a team that you cannot beat without being physical. You're not going to beat the Baltimore Ravens finessing them to death. That's my view of it. I mean, I know there are teams out there that could probably throw all over them in a more, you know, dynamic fashion. That's not what the Browns have been doing so far, and I think they ought to go about it similarly to the way they went about it against San Diego. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'll say a little bit lower scoring than you, like I say. I'll call it, uh, what did I call it, 23-20, and we'll see how it shakes out. At any rate, Pete, 
I really enjoyed it again this week, man. Obviously, we'll do it again, and uh, I will uh, I will look forward to talking to you soon. That's Pete Smith, everybody. You can follow him at Pete Smith FS on Twitter. Check him out at Draft Breakdown, NFLSpinZone.com. And Pete, good talking to you, man. Sounds good. All right, that was Pete Smith dropping knowledge as always. Uh, check him out at Pete Smith FS, and please do. Hit a click on his links at uh, NFL Spin Zone at Draft Breakdown. You're going to learn some good things. And uh, that'll do it for this episode, number 28 of the Browns Note Podcast. Hopefully we will be back next week after a hugely triumphant Sunday against the hated Baltimore Ravens. But one way or the other, we will be back because we persevere through the good times and the abundantly bad, apparently. With that, I leave you folks. Please do hit us up with follows. I'm at FTBL Sickness. Mr. Brendan Leister, our normal co-host, is at Brendan Leister on Twitter. We do have a new podcast home uh, Twitter handle, at The Browns Note. So hit us there as well. There will be some slightly different stuff, and I may be migrating my live tweeting of Browns games over to that account just to just so as to lesser annoy those that are not total Browns fans on my regular feed. But at any rate, please check us out at those spots. Subscribe via iTunes, via Stitcher, tell a friend. We'll be back next week, everybody. And until then, go Browns! (laughs) 